Fall, 1983, you read a short story in which a blind man teaches a closed-minded man to see. Then you go out to watch a new Christmas movie. A kid wants a BB gun, but everyone says he's going to shoot his eye out. But caught between kiddom and his adult self-narrator, one hand guiding the other in drawing, we experience a double vision. Raymond Carver's Cathedral, published in the fall of 1983, the narrator is sitting with a blind man and there are cathedrals on the television, and the narrator realizes that the man probably doesn't know what exactly a cathedral is as something marked by certain visual characteristics. He tries to describe them as someone who has seen cathedrals before and was just looking at some major examples on the television, but he finds that he can't do it. The blind man, Robert, he suggests that they take pen and paper and the narrator will draw a cathedral for him. As Robert rests his hand on the narrators and feels out what it is that he's drawing. Now looking to the present day, one of the things I've noticed over the past month as people have been posting their favorite Christmas movies is not a lot of people posting A Christmas Story, the 1983 classic film, which is presented in abundant marathons now. And through that, it's been one of the films that I've seen the most times in some sense, but I've never really sat down and watched it actively until just this week. And it takes on a similar style as Raymond Carver, with a somewhat realistic look at working class life. The Gene Shepard with A Christmas Story and other work is aiming for a bit more levity. There's a humor in it, whereas in Carver it's a little bleaker. But I thought I would trace out these overlapping images of Christmas and cathedrals. One of the key things to lay out from the start is that both works are framed through these very subjective narrators. In the case of A Christmas Story, you have the older Ralphie looking back at his childhood at a particular Christmas that was memorable and seeing the sort of family dynamics at work. The core of the film ultimately being this moment where he starts to understand his parents. And so we have the central plot of him and his desired Christmas gift, this Red Rider BB gun, but we also have these little vignettes that flesh out his his mother and his father and his brother and how they all sort of interact. And things are constantly framed through this voiceover, but as a film you ultimately get to actually see all of these characters acting on their own, even if some scenes are a little stylized. Whereas in Cathedral, the whole text is the narrator telling his story. And there's some dialogue, but otherwise we don't really see the other two characters, which are his wife and Robert, other than what he is saying about them. And so a lot of the story is himself being wary of Robert, who is a guest in his house, and particularly a guest of his wife. And there's a lot of clear jealousy and anxiety there. One insightful little detail is that his wife at one point says in dialogue, our bedroom, but later when he's narrating, going into the room to pick up pens, he says, my wife's bedroom. And it turns out he mostly tries to avoid the room, staying up late watching television every night. And while the purpose of Robert's visit is that his wife has recently died, when the narrator learns Raymond's wife's name was Beulah, he thinks that's a colored person's name and he asks his wife if Beulah was a Negro. Not only is he out of date for the 1980s, but there's a real lack of empathy in this being his first thought, and really only thought. And we could see his perspective right from the first paragraph of the story. He says, for instance, and his being blind bothered me. My idea of blindness came from the movies. In the movies, the blind moved slowly and never laughed. Sometimes they were led by seeing eye dogs. A blind man in my house was not something I looked forward to. And while he's really serious about all this, we as readers can see that the idea of basing your perspective about people from movies is a fundamentally flawed perspective. And when Robert shows up and it turns out he's not wearing big, dark sunglasses, the narrator does not take this as an opportunity to think that maybe his perspective is wrong or limited, but he takes it as a reason to trust Robert even less. And we see something similar in A Christmas Story where we get Kid Ralphie's at times cartoonish perspective, such as, for instance, his teacher gives him a poor grade on his essay about why he 
wants a BB gun for Christmas and says he'll shoot his eye out. And so he starts to imagine her as the Wicked Witch of the West, the Wizard of Oz having just come out within the timeline of the movie, or more subtly in the scenes with the bullies where it becomes an almost archetypal encounter. And meanwhile, you have the adult Ralphie narrator looking back on this childish perspective, what he keeps calling kiddom. But what you have there that you don't have with the narrator in Carver is the self-aware perspective on everything. So for instance, there's a moment where his parents make him wash his mouth out with soap, and he says every kid has this fantasy that by the time they're in their early 20s, they'll end up going blind and they'll come home and their parents will be in, in absolute grief. What has happened? What has happened? And they'll be able to say soap poisoning. And their parents will feel so sorry. And to the kid's perspective, it's this moment of absolute glee to have ended up blind and to get this win. And so as that's going on, we have the parents as characters who really sort of get what's going on from a similar perspective and so the father eventually does get him the BB gun even though he's the one person who was never directly asked because he says he had one as a kid and he can look back and understand their perspective and get the appeal and know what it is that Ralphie wants at that age. And elsewhere when we saw Ralphie get deeply punished for saying the F word once his mother encounters him beating up his bully and saying an endless string of profanity but ends up covering for him when the father gets home and asks what happened. He thought that his life was over and his younger brother is crying, saying daddy's going to kill Ralphie, but ultimately they understand what's going on. And so that I think is the heart of the film. And what the Christmas setting does is it's this moment where everyone is trying to be their best and do right by themselves and their family and so on. In the case of the kids, you know, they want to behave well so that they get on the nice list and get nice presents. And the parents are straining their means to try to create happy memories for the family. And so even when things go wrong, like at the end, all the dogs rush in and they eat the turkey dinner, the father quickly jumps in and suggests the dinner at the Chinese restaurant, which ends up becoming one of the most iconic scenes from the film because it's this very real moment where things go terribly wrong in the family, but they make it work. And it's not this glamorous commercial image of a family in this nice house with a huge spread, but they make it work and you end up ultimately with this nice family experience. And at the other end of the film, we start with this image of people crammed earmuff to earmuff in front of this Christmas display window looking at all the new toys and such on display. You have all these little tanks and stuff and one thing interesting with that is the setting is around 1940 and so it's the beginning of World War II but America's not involved yet and so there's the cliche Christmas sense that all is well with the world that we know through the reflective structure of the film is not quite accurate but they're in this moment where they get to do their best to pretend and you know this is still shortly after the Great Depression and not quite yet up to the point where you get the post-war economic boom, and we then peer inside the imaginative life of this working-class family in this moment. And one thing that I think is interesting is that while we know through the narration that Ralphie eventually grows up and, you know, gets some perspective on all of this, he doesn't really grow over the course of the film. He starts wishing for this gun, having this fantasy of shooting a group of comic burglars, and he ends in bed cradling his favorite Christmas gift, the thing he's been wanting the whole film. The one shift, as I said, is he starts to see that his mother is actually someone looking out for him says that things were different between them from then on but I think we might typically expect a lot more overt moralism from this type of holiday film and pivoting back to the Raymond Carver story we end with a sort of epiphany but it's not quite this moment of perfect revelation we still get the narrator in his own sort of view he doesn't radically change 
He says, so we kept on with it. His fingers rode my fingers as my hand went over the paper. It was like nothing else in my life up to now. Then he said, I think that's it. I think you got it. He said, take a look. What do you think? But I had my eyes closed. I thought I'd keep them that way for a little longer. I thought it was something I ought to do. Well, he said, are you looking? My eyes were still closed. I was in my house. I knew that. But I didn't feel like I was inside anything. It's really something, I said. And so he's not fundamentally changed. He's doing something he thinks he ought to do. Sort of just mimicking the superficial experience of the blind man. But there's some sense implied there that he's more self-awarely recognizing this spiritual gap within himself. Where his life at this point is mostly staying up without his wife, watching late night TV and getting high. The one thing he went into this recognizing about cathedrals is that it's this work that expands beyond a person's lifetime. What you might want from the story is for it to extend a little more to where he opens up his eyes and actually connects with the two people in front of him. One of the key details with this ending is that after this whole story where he's figuratively blind to his wife, point where he dispassionately explains this earlier suicide attempt of hers, and then here at the end he's sitting with Robert leaning over his sleeping wife on the couch, and then she wakes up as they're doing the drawing, and it says, my wife opened up her eyes and gazed at us. She sat up on the sofa, her robe hanging open. She said, what are you doing? Tell me, I want to know. I didn't answer her. And then a few lines further on, my wife said, what's going on, Robert? What are you doing? What's going on? It's all right, he said to her. Close your eyes now, the blind man said to me. And that's the last we see of the wife in the story. And so while you have this moment where he has this moment with this blind man, Carver leaves it uncertain whether or not this will really go anywhere. What he complains about earlier is that his wife and Robert send these audio tapes back and forth through the mail. And so even though he hasn't heard most of them, he suspects that his wife doesn't talk about him very much at all. And when Robert shows up, he says he feels like he already knows him. And it's uncertain whether that's just something to say or whether he really does know a lot about him through these conversations. And the question of how we know things is one of the sort of core ideas in the story where it starts with this idea that everything he knows about blind people he knows from movies. Then it's like, what does he know about this other man? It's what his wife told him. And then what does he know about cathedrals? Well, he's not really sure what to say about them. But when it really comes down to it, when he's really trying to teach this other person who has no way of directly perceiving cathedrals, what it is a cathedral looks like, what it is that really makes it remarkable, he finds suddenly in that moment that he can do it, that he can draw this cathedral in a way that he didn't expect that he could, and he can give this other person this vision in a way that he didn't know that he could. And so while he's been bitterly judging his wife exchanging these audio tapes, he's been completely ignorant of the potential of that sort of exchange and what you can learn from interacting with another person and just genuinely sharing something that seems meaningful on some level. And I think there's something similar going on with Christmas Story where it's really tracing out this Christmas moment and what's really going on in that childish sense of wonder and delight. It doesn't break free from the commercialism of the holiday or get into anything so deeply transcendent. There is something quite genuine there and that idea of something that really outlasts oneself. So when Ralphie uses his mail-in decoder ring to uncode the secret Little Orphan Annie message, it's just a further commercial for what he already recognizes as the corporate sponsor of the program. But what the adult narrator is able to recognize is that while we see the kid Ralphie asking his mother to get him more of a certain side dish during this family dinner, when she herself hasn't even begun to eat, he sees now that, you know, she's someone who never really got to eat her food hot in years and years, and is always sort of serving everyone else, and we see this really tender moment in that scene where 
where you have the younger brother who doesn't like to eat, and she plays this little game with him to get him to eat some of his food. It's through scenes like that that the film is able to show this sort of long-term growth while still letting Ralphie just enjoy kiddom. And this is this vision of late 1983 where people might not get to do these sorts of grandiose projects like building a cathedral, but you can have these moments where you sketch out the image of cathedral, the image of Christmas, and we could see them being capable of so much more than is readily apparent in the day-to-day. -day. 